an interview with Lara Smith about her group, the Liberal Gun Club, plus a look at the latest NRA turmoil. That and more on this episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I made the devil run. I gave him poison just for fun. All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gutowski. I'm also the founder of the, the, the Reload.com. You know, I do that. Usually I do that intro so well, it just goes straight through, but not today. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I've, I've got a uh, national spokesperson for the Liberal Gun Club, Lara Smith, here on the, the podcast this week to, to tell us a little bit about their their organization and what they are and how they're different uh you know some of it's obviously in the name but uh, lara if you could uh just introduce yourself briefly to people who might not know you sure and uh thank you for having me as always i am lara smith i'm the national spokesperson for the liberal gun club and we are one of the biggest and um, longest established left of center organizations that support the second amendment our take is a little bit different. Our focus is root cause mitigation um, more than uh, particularly fighting um, established gun laws. Our, our focus is more, look, if we want to get anything done, we have to focus on the underlying causes of what's happening and, and underlying causes of violence in general um, and, and societal issues. So that's our focus more. But we also have uh, training, we have online forums, we have, you know, an open space for left of center gun owners to come and talk about firearms and firearm ownership and and the fun parts of that too. And so, uh, you know, I think a lot of a lot of people would be surprised uh, at, you know, the existence of a liberal gun club, right? Uh, there's certainly a stereotype about the kind of people who own guns in the United States. And uh, sure. There's a lot of polarization around the issue of guns in the United States, and liberals tend to find themselves on uh, the side that wants to restrict gun ownership. Uh, and so that's uh, obviously where you guys tend to differ often with uh, your fellow liberals, right? Uh, uh, in that sense, like you, you're you're politically aligned in a lot of other ways, but but not on this particular issue. Is that right? That's right. I mean. So one of the things we talk about in the club and, and one of kind of the, the phrases we use is every single civil right for every single person. Um, we kind of think the liberal philosophy is that you have to protect all the civil rights, even the ones that you don't necessarily like. Um, and, you know, for a lot of liberals, we think the the Democratic Party's focus on um, the Second Amendment is just wrong. Um, although, you know, I, to some extent, I understand it. If, if you're getting your data from one place and the data is bad, then your focus is going to be bad, right? So um, there's a lot of that. And, and so a lot of what we do is try to say, hey, look, we have the same concern. I mean, there's nobody who who says, oh, yeah, we're totally fine with kids being hurt or, you know, people committing suicide or harms or violence in the communities or whatever. That That's not what we're saying. And, and really, no one's saying that, right? Um, and, and so we have a lot of problem with kind of the rhetoric that goes with that. But mm. but our response to that is you these <sighs> giving the benefit of the doubt, even if they were well-intentioned laws, they don't work. We know that these kind of restrictive focused on the gun laws don't do anything. So our focus is what's the actual problem, right? The actual problem isn't the million of gun owners and and 
the United States that use guns every day, um, that use guns safely every day, right? And it's certainly not the people who properly and legally use guns in defensive situations. The problem is a very, very small subset of people. Um, there's people with mental health issues. There's people with um, community issues. There's underlying societal problems that create violence in general in the United States. And our focus is how do we look at those problems holistically? Because even if poof, all of the guns disappeared tomorrow, you wouldn't solve those problems. Mm-hmm. You would just, we'd have another tool that replaced it, right? And and so our, our focus is how do we actually make life better so that the tool that's out there that primarily gets used responsibly is always used responsibly or has more opportunity for that and that being the focus. Right, right. And and I suppose in that way, uh, you know, you do share a lot of um, common ground with other uh, liberal groups that want to address these sort of uh, uh, root cause issues, as, as you call them, um, with, right. you know, social programs and, and things of that nature, as opposed to gun bans. Uh, you know, that, 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 I mean, that sounds like uh, my, that's how I understand what you guys are uh, are trying to do at least on the political front, right? Right, and and so to that end, right? I mean, the political front of it is we know. I mean, there there's plenty of data. There's tons and tons of studies that talk about what laws work and what laws don't, right? I mean, it, in general, bans don't work, and obviously that's been a big discussion in the United States this week, right? But Bans don't work for everything. And and the one thing that we point to a lot is the war on drugs. I mean, that everyone knows that's been an unmitigated disaster because you can't just stop the thing. You have to stop why it's happening. Hmm. And so that's more our focus. But also our focus is, well, why do that? Like, why, why have that? Well, because it's in the Bill of Rights, and we don't want to see the Bill of Rights restricted. So because we don't want the other liberal social agendas to be restricted, right? And if you restrict the Bill of Rights, that's what happens. Okay. And, you know, you mentioned the idea of defending all the civil the civil liberties, the civil rights, uh, even the ones you don't right. like. But obviously, you know, I've spent time shooting with, with the, uh, you know, members from your group, and I've, I've met a number of them. Uh, and you guys do really like guns, certainly. Oh yeah, uh, as well. Uh, it's not just a it's not just a principles thing about defending the Bill of Rights or, or civil rights generally. It's you also genuinely uh, have a group of people that uh, are left of center, uh, even relatively, you know, to the to the, to the far left almost uh, in cases. Uh, who, but they they are gun owners who genuinely enjoyed uh owning guns they own them for all sorts of different reasons right uh, uh you know hobby they, they like the hobby of it but they also like the self-defense aspect which sure. um is, doesn't get talked about as much on on the left side uh of the issue but is certainly something that a lot of democrats and liberals who own guns uh believe in as well um and it's a key just talk a little bit about uh, the the community uh, that you guys have, have built over these last several years of people who perhaps, I don't know, don't fit in, don't feel like they fit into the broader gun culture or, or you know, aren't NRA card carrying members and uh, and then maybe also right. don't fit in uh, perhaps uh, on the, the left. Uh, 
in the terms of, um, you know, wanting to ban guns and so forth. Right. I mean, I would say most of our members say that that we don't fit in um, to any particular box. Uh, uh, most of our members are probably not aligned with any political party. They're, I would say most of our members are independent. Um, if they, you know, they may register for a party to vote in primaries, but they wouldn't say, oh yeah, I affiliate with a party. I mean, like me, I, I didn't, when I lived in a state that had open primaries, I wasn't registered to a party because it didn't fit me. Hmm. You know, it didn't, I didn't ever side, oh, a hundred percent on this or a hundred percent on that. Um, having said that, you know, I mean, there's kind of the joke, you know, the further left you go, the, the you get your guns back. <laughs> um, so <laughs> our community, we have a lot of people who are really, I mean, you know, I kind of joke that we have everything from libertarians to anarchists in the group. And it's true. Like we have, when we say left of center, we mean the whole broad spectrum of left of center. And but the group is really fun. I mean, we have a lot of events. Um, as a matter of fact, to be a voting member, to vote for your chapter leadership and that kind of thing, um, you actually have to come to an event. Um, it can be online with COVID, we, and we do have online events, but you have to actively participate in the club, and we have to know you're a gun owner. Mm. Um, we don't, you, you can't just come in and be like, oh, I like this, and be a voting member. Now, you can be a member. You don't have to own firearms to be a member. And we have lots of members who came in saying, you know, with the things that are going on politically or the things that are going on in, in the world or my community, I want to learn about being armed. I, I, I feel the need to learn self-defense, but I don't want to go to the kind of stereotypical tech to dude, you know, you know, when I'm not teaching gun classes, I'm a mercenary guy down the street, um, right. to, to get that. I'm not comfortable with that either because I don't align with that politically or I have some characteristic that I think makes me stand out or, you know, they, I'm not comfortable with them. Can you guys teach me? And we say, yeah, you bet. We teach all kinds of people firearms and we teach everything from the basic intro beginner class to defensive use of firearms. Um, we have a defensive um, class that we have. We have certified instructors. We have classes that are certified for uh, carry classes in Massachusetts and other states, you know, if you need to take a class in your state to get a concealed carry license, you can use one of ours in, in some states. And we're working on getting it in others. It's actually really hard to do that, uh, by the way, which is right. an interesting problem that a lot of people don't know. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it's really difficult to get those certified. Certainly. But to the extent we can do it, we do. Um, and and we have events. And then the other thing is we like to have fun events. You know, I mean, we like to have people come out. We have one in California every year where people from Northern California and Southern California meet on the Central California coast. And we go to a great range there called San Luis Obispo Sportsman's Association. And we go and we shoot everything from you know, muzzle loaders to the newest shotguns you can imagine to every type of wheel gun to, you know, the, your basic polymer guns to your very fancy, um, you know, custom handguns. Mm -hmm. And, and we, you know, and everybody brings their stuff and it's really fun because you go to the range and we'll all be set out on, you know, especially they, they have a steel, they have a, um, a close target steel range there. Mm. And, they have a bench that's just a really long bench um, to set up on it and to, sh to shoot the steel for that side of the range. And everybody from the club will have their firearms out. And invariably, other people are coming over going, what's that? Wait, 
what can I, <laughs> I've never seen one of those in person. Can I try that? And it's great. You know, and we, and, and we get the, who are you guys? You're the, who, the what? Right. <laughs> and, you know, we get, we get a lot of introduction to people because we're out there with this huge, huge variety of firearms having fun. I mean, you know, you know this, when we have our national, we try to do all kinds of different events. We'll, we'll go and we'll have a shotgun day and we'll go. And if we're somewhere we can do it, like we're going to Vegas this year, we'll set up a machine gun shoot. You know, we'll go, we'll have that for our members. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was uh, at the, the one in Florida. Uh, we went right? to Machine Gun America, the great uh, machine yeah. gun range there. But yeah, I mean, I think what I, what I noticed spending time uh, with the Liberal Gun Club, with you guys at your national convention a couple of years back, is that you've been able to create this this sort of uh, pretty close knit community of people who perhaps don't feel like they're as welcomed in some parts of the gun owning community, you right. know, like you described there. You know, there's there's obviously a uh, a polarization in this country around firearms where. Uh, it's even moved into a sort of an identity politics area where uh, owning firearms is connected to being, you know, conservative Republican, uh, and and being right. against firearms or being for restrictions on them is is associated with being a liberal Democrat. And uh, so clearly, uh, you know, your group doesn't necessarily fit that uh, simplistic sort of divide that uh, you know is, is the stereotypical divide. And and so it's interesting to see how you guys have been able to um, really build this community uh, over years and, and that it's, you know, grown to the size that it has where you have chapters, you know, all over the country now uh, and you move right. your national uh, meeting from state to state uh, each year. I mean, I'm, obviously COVID has impacted that recently, but, uh, but like you said, you're, you're doing Vegas here soon. And I, you know, I think it's fascinating to see, what you guys have been able to carve out in that uh, that area uh, now, and and is it growing? Are you seeing sort of the yeah. more people coming in? Yeah, and and we do see more people coming in. Um, really, I think the big upsurge in growth was kind of the beginning of the Trump administration, mm. but but since then that growth has been really steady, and and we see we see more young people coming in. We see more diversity of people coming in. I'd say in the past year, probably the largest growth has been in the Asian community mm. that we've seen come in, but we have all kinds of members. We have a huge, huge variety of people all over the country who have come in. Um, and one of the things we talk about is that, you know, we want to be welcoming for everybody. Like you don't actually have to be a liberal to be a member you just have to understand that that's who the club was created for and by and is run by. And, and, you know, we want people who come in who want to have fun and who want to interact with us in a way that's going to be polite and fun, but we're not the gun club where you're going to come in and start talking about these other issues that may be kind of the more conservative Republican darling issues mm -hmm. and have that met comfortably because this is really a group of leftists. But I will say, I mean, for example, Beto O'Rourke gets zero love <laughs> from our organization. Gavin Newsom, I mean, none. Yeah, um, you know, actually, you um, know, there's another thing I noticed spending time with liberal gun club members was that, you know, certainly there, there's uh, there can be discomfort with that that sort of stereotypical 
you know, conservative Republican gun owner or, or whatever. But usually there's actually more conflict with, uh, you know, fellow liberals who don't believe in, in gun rights. Um, uh, it seems like they're, uh, I remember one member telling me that they were they'd be more afraid to uh, tell their liberal friends that they're gun owners than their gun owning friends that they're liberal. Do you think that follows? I, you know, I think it depends on who you are um, and where you are. I mean, I, I think for, for example, for some of our disabled members or our, especially some of our members of color, I think, you know, they don't tell people they're gun owners ever um, because they don't think it's safe. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think for a, a big majority of our members, they also don't talk to their liberal friends about, yeah, I'm a gun owner. Um, you know, I'm kind of the exception to that. And, and a lot of the leadership, obviously, sure. I mean, it's pretty out there that, that we own firearms and we offer to take people to the range. But we do talk about that. Um, and and that's one of the things the club talks about with the membership is, you know, that's fine. Like, you know, lots of people who are gun owners don't talk about it. And that's fine. Like that, you know, that's not an, an abnormal thing. But, you know, I love um, David Yamane's um, thing about guns are normal. I mean, they really are normal, but, you know people, you know, more than a third of Americans own them. It's normal. Yeah. And, but it's normal for liberals too, right? I mean, yeah. something like even before this surge that we know has happened since 2020, I think it was right around somewhere between a fifth and a quarter of all, I mean, you know, of all liberals said, yeah, I live in a house with a gun or we own one, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. that's, it's normal for everybody. Um, so, but it is true. Like there's, our membership definitely calls the Democratic Party out on it. Um, and and uh, the way you see that the most, right, is in primary voting mm -hmm. for us. Interesting. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and I guess uh, uh, going off of that, by the way, we had, we had Professor Yumani on the podcast uh, a few months back. Yeah. People want to check out. Uh, more of his thoughts because I think you're I think you're right. One thing that gets really undervalued uh, in our discussion about guns is just how many people own them and how those people cut across all sorts of different ideological or race or gender right. lines, uh, and they own them for all kinds of different reasons. There's there's a lot of reasons you might want to own a gun. Um, you know, I mean, uh, 2020 is sort of a good example of this. There there was a obviously a surge of gun buying after the pandemic, but Interestingly, there was a big surge surrounding, um, you know, the rioting and the, but before that, mm -hmm. the actual um, murder of George Floyd that that later, you know, inspired the protests and then rioting, you know, so there are people buying guns because of what happened with George Floyd, seeing a police officer, you know, murder a black man that right. way, made I'm sure uh, plenty of uh, black people want to buy guns, and then uh, you know the rioting. Uh, inspired people to buy guns, uh, including, uh, I'm sure, black people in those neighborhoods that were affected by that, but also people sure. all over the country. So, you know, even the same event on either side of it can, can you know, push people to go and purchase firearms. Um, and so, you know, it's something that doesn't get discussed as much um, until we talk about a group like yours uh, of this uh, right. sort of stereotype breaking uh, group that where it's, you know, oh, you know, the simplistic thing is to say that all liberals hate guns or all conservatives love guns, which is also not true, of course. Um, but, you know, it's more important to understand the reality of, 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 
America, people in America. It's it, gun ownership is much broader than than I think we ever really talk about. Yeah, I think that's right. And and I think, I mean, you're even seeing in Florida, is it the Secretary of Agriculture who's the, yep. the statewide elected Democrat who filed the, Nikki the suit, right? Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, you see that and and you're realizing like, maybe there's little things. I mean, there's a, a Democrat running for sheriff in San Diego County who's pro um, concealed carry permits. Um, and so in California, the sheriffs in general are the ones who um, issue concealed carry permits. Right. And so they have a lot of power on whether you get it and it's county by county. He is a he's a Democrat. He's absolutely liberal. I know him. Um, and he's absolutely a pro. He's like, no. And as a matter of fact, he ran in the last election and it forced the conservative sheriff to start issuing them. Mm-hmm. He moved because a Democrat said, no, I'm going to issue these. You're wrong. Um, and I guess that's. Got, I guess, uh, you know, going off of that, uh, you know, there's two interesting points here. One is uh, the first one I want to talk about is just this influx of new gun owners over the last two years. Right. Uh, There was just alluding to earlier. Uh, A lot of these people tend to be from demographics that traditionally are more liberal. They vote more democratic. Um, You know, you have a lot more minorities, a lot more women buying guns now. Um, And that has only accelerated over those last two years. And, uh, you know, it's one, have you seen, I mean, it sounds like you've seen some of that effect in your own group, uh, as you, as you were mm-hmm. discussing earlier and more, uh, Asian Americans yeah. joining. Um, and, uh, but do you, to me that, that signals, you know, the, one of the big long-term trend stories, uh, because how those people end up voting on guns down the line is going to determine a lot about how gun politics play out over the next several decades, I think. Uh, and, yeah. you know, the I think the initial reaction from a lot of gun owners or gun rights activists, uh, especially on the Republican side of things, was that these people who bought guns for the first time in 2020 were going to immediately become you know, single issue gun voters and they were going to go out and vote party line Republican and Donald, you know, Donald Trump was guaranteed to be reelected. Obviously that didn't happen. Um, and I, I've always thought that the more realistic view of what will happen with these folks is that they're not necessarily going to change their entire political identity just because they keep became gun owners. Uh, they're not necessarily going to change their position on abortion or, um, you know, uh, Medicare or right. universal health care, you know, whatever else, uh, just because they bought a gun, but they might change their views on guns, right? Uh, that right. would follow, certainly. And we have seen surveys that show that effect already. The University of Chicago put out a survey that showed uh, people who bought guns over the last two years, in some cases, were actually uh, more in favor of loosening uh, some restrictions than previous owners, uh, especially around things like waiting lists, probably because they had to interact with waiting lists at a moment where they were uh, very eager to buy a gun for their own protection. Um, right. And and so it seems that it might have an even bigger effect just on the Democratic Party in particular uh, in, in becoming more amenable towards uh, gun rights and running more candidates that, or at least uh, candidates who run with a more amenable attitude towards guns may do better in the future. You think that's 
sort of in line with what you're just talking about there. Yeah. So if you look at John Ossoff's campaign in Georgia, the senator, there was nothing about guns on his page ever. Now, how does he vote on it? You know, once you get into Congress, does your vote change because there's party politics going on? Sure, maybe. But he knew that he would never win if in Georgia, of all states, if he put up an anti-gun. He he knew he couldn't be Beto, right? I mean, so first of all, Beto lost Texas because he was anti-gun. I mean, that's why he lost Texas. If he had been pro-gun, he would have been able to pull in more people. And so you what happens is if you have that stance right, it's not that you're going to go vote. It's not that those voters are going to suddenly vote for the Republican. It's that they're going to stay home. So that what happens is it suppresses the vote on one side and, and it doesn't raise it on the other, but suppresses it on one side. So that's a different thing than gaining voters for the other side. So you think uh, we're already seeing this effect in I do. situations like Nikki Freed in Florida or John Ossoff oh, yeah. in Georgia and, 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 and I mean, Beto's campaign? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, Beto's backed off some of the anti-gun stuff this year compared to what his campaign was the last time. I mean, you're starting to see you're even even though to gun people, it's not enough of a change. And I get that. Like, I, I, I don't like. I don't like the well, I'm pro gun, but I want to do X, Y, Z thing. Um mm-hmm. You know, and and mostly it's I want to ban ARs, but I'm totally fine if you own handguns. Well, why? (laughs) Let's talk about the numbers. That makes no sense, right? Um, And so I understand like gun people saying it's not just enough to not talk about it. I get it. But you're still starting to see that change in the Democratic Party in small ways. Now, there's so much money involved, right? There's so much money on both sides, right, involved in in what's the position going to be that you're not going to see that change immediately. But you are seeing it in the voting. You are seeing it in who's coming out. Um, You're seeing it in things like even in Oakland, there's somebody running for city council in Oakland who is Democratic and pro-gun in Oakland, California, of all places. I mean, this is a city that's like, you know, the police department is under a federal like order to be managed. It's like that that is the last city in the world that you think you'd see that. And you've got somebody running. Um, You're starting to see it. you're seeing it in people who are running for lower down positions, right? You're seeing a lot more people saying, hey, I want to talk about this. Um, you're seeing it in more organizations that are set up to reach a broader group of people, not just ours, but things like NAIGA, um, things like Walk the Talk America, right? That's a non-political gun organization that their whole focus is talking to doctors. Again, that's not necessarily a really liberal group of people that they're reaching out to, but it's definitely a group that had been anti-gun for a very long time. And they're going out there and talking to them. So you are starting to see, you're starting to see it in small ways. So are we going to see it this cycle, right? Like this year, probably not in as much of an obvious way, but I think we'll see it for really four years from now. It's probably the first cycle we'll really see a difference. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's going to be a longer term effect. You're starting to see a little bit of it now, potentially. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you need a lot more evidence to, before we can declare it's happened. But, but, right. uh, and it, you know, it's it's an evolution more than you know an instant change. I think. Uh, but to to the second part of that point, uh, your group in particular uh, seems poised to benefit from from this change because. 
the way that you guys lobby, right? And you do lobby, right? I mean, I've, we I've, do lobby. Uh, you know, you, you've done it. I've talked to uh, some of the members here in Virginia about, you know, their efforts uh, at Lobby Day. I mean, specifically, I was talking to uh, uh, David Meyer Somer and um, mm -hmm. uh, as well as uh, uh, Deborah uh, Yaman uh, Yamanica, uh, and right. very nice people. But they went down as part of uh, Liberal Gun Club uh, Virginia uh, to meet with legislators on uh lobby day in a similar fashion to you know what the virginia citizens defense league does but in uh in the similar fashion in the sense that they are lobbying lawmakers about guns but they're doing it obviously in from a very different point of view and a different approach uh which sets you guys apart uh in the sense that you have more potential credibility with uh, frankly with democrats um in, right. in these state houses because you um, have share a lot of similar uh, issues in common that you guys believe in, but uh, you know uh, you're not the NRA and uh, no. you're not VCDL. You're not these other gun groups that tend to be more conservative, um, and so they may, you know potentially they listen to you more. Is that are you seeing a change at all in the last two years in that regard? And uh, you know how. How do you plan to take advantage of this sort of uh, uptick in membership and, and this change in who's buying guns? So, you know, it's been an interesting problem, right? Because the past two years, a lot of the state houses have been closed. Like, right. you know, a, a, like not necessarily in the conservative states, but those aren't the states that we necessarily need to go lobby in. They're the ones that already have the gun laws that are favorable. If we're doing, if you're talking about state, right, California, Oregon, a lot of that you haven't been able to go in and have in-person meetings. So it's been difficult, but we've definitely been reaching out more. Um, we, so let's talk about Virginia. We actually go the same week as Lobby Day, but we don't go the same day. Right. Um, we go a different day and we usually go, I think the following day or two days later. And that's a way to differentiate a little bit, right? Exactly. And then we show up and we don't go usually. I mean, it, and not not because we aren't interested in them, but because it's not the most value, right? We don't already go talk to the more conservative members who are already going to vote on this. Mm -hmm. We go and we talk to the Democratic members who maybe have sponsored a bill or who we've talked to before who have said, you know, I have a question about this bill that's out here. You guys, we, we've built a lot of trust because we've done it for several years now. And, and they can come to us and say, hey, can you explain this technical part of this to me? And what we go to the, the legislators a lot or, and to the, the people and, and say is like, hey, we understand what you're trying to do. This law is not going to do it. Here's why. And we try to bring the evidence in to say, here's the problem. Or have you thought about like, there was a bill in Virginia, and I'll tell you, I don't remember exactly the specifics of it, but it was really, really bad. And it was clearly going to harm women who had restraining orders. Like the whole idea was, and it was a, it was a really complicated bill, but it, part of it was a waiting time thing. And it, the whole idea was to, to create more waiting times. But if you had a restraining order, you couldn't have a gun anyway. So the people you were hurting were the women and, and there were problems like if a woman got a divorce who she would she could end up being a target and all these kind of things the way it was written and we went in and talked to them and said this is really poorly done 
here's who's going to get hurt. And here's what we're concerned about. Have you thought about this? And, and we get, so we may not get a whole bill scrapped, but we get it to be not nearly as bad. And we have gotten things scrapped. Um, you know, I think, I think the place this year that frankly, we didn't have as much luck was Washington. Um, so, you know, when we see, Hey, that didn't change, then what that tells us and what we're working on next is who do we need to go see? So one of the things we've implemented is that we have, um, we have an intern and she monitors legislation for us so that we can see, and, and we have a database that says we're neutral on this. We don't care. This, this law isn't going to do anything or, you know, it's not, it's too tangential to, to guns for us to worry about. Um, hey, we actually really like, hey, there's a new law coming, even if it's Republican sponsored. Hey, we like that one. Or, hey, this law is really bad. We're a hard no. We need to think about lobbying on that um, so that we have this big database and so that we can tell our members. So we can send out to our members who, let's say we see something that's really awful. We can send it out to our members and say, hey, who wants to go to the state house or you guys, we have postcards, send a postcard to your rep about this law. Here's the bill number. Here's what it's about. Here's a blurb about how you can talk to them about it. Let them know you're concerned. You need to email them. Here's the link about how to find out who your representative is. And so we'll do that kind of thing to try to get our membership more engaged in making phone calls and sending emails and sending postcards. Um, you, our members can actually order free postcards from us to do mailings. Um, we've done mailings on all kinds of laws. We've done, you know, concerted efforts. Um, when the administration was getting ready to come out, you know, with their gun platform, our membership wrote and said, you know, I'm concerned about this and the gun platform. And then you saw when it came out that, yeah, some of it was terrible, but it also included funding for things like Operation Ceasefire. That was great. And that was one of the things we talked about to, you know, and put in the postcards was please work on things that work such as, you know, and, and so we're really careful. The way we lobby is not to say, wow, you're really stupid. This is a terrible idea. What we do instead is to say, here's the problem. Here's a solution, you know, and, and try to give a very quick, small solution to it um, to get lawmakers thinking about, hey, there might be something else I could do that would be better. Yeah. And that's our focus. And and now that things are opening back up, I think you're going to see um, we're actually probably going to try to fund that more. Um, I'd really love to go do a trip to D.C. with club members and take people to D.C. and go do a day of action and go out and, and talk to lawmakers and, and get, you know, appointments. I've done that before. And um, I'd like to actually go do that at a national level. I think that's probably next. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I, and I'd be interested in following that if, uh, if you're able to put it together. But um, you know, I think your group is, uh, offers something unique because, uh, you know, in Virginia, for instance, you know, we, we had, um, that there was a, a package of gun control bills that passed here under, uh, you know, the former governor, uh, right. when Democrats had control of the state, but even during that period, they were considering a much, uh, a much stricter option of trying to of banning, uh, you know, assault weapons or so-called assault weapons, you know, AR-15s and so forth, and even uh, potentially confiscating them or, you know, doing a mandatory buyback situation or making it illegal to possess the ones you already had. Right. And so uh, that got blocked by the Democrats in the Senate, you know, people like uh, Chad Peterson and 
you know, the NRA and VCDL uh, certainly played a big role in that. They, they were able to mobilize a lot of people, a lot of supporters. It's a huge rally in, in Richmond and the NRA did a lot of work, uh, you know, with lawmakers uh, on the, you know, in the state house itself. Um, but, you know, your group uh, also met, you know, continues to meet with, with Chad mm-hmm. Peterson and, and some of these other uh, lawmakers on the Democratic side. And, you know, it's it seems like there's certainly potential at the very least that could have a significant impact on how they, uh, you know, approach the issue, especially on, you know, the, the more finite details or, you know, where they where they might draw the line on what, you know, like in this case, what they're willing to vote for and what they're not. You know, they were willing to vote for something like universal background checks um, or, uh, you know, local gun-free zones for uh, parks and, and so forth, which right. they did pass, but they weren't willing to go the extra step even when they could have given uh, democratic control of, uh, you know, the entire state government at that point. And, um, you know, so th- that's where I could see you know, a group like yours having that, that sort of uh, additional impact that somebody like the NRA or VCDL, as much as they legitimately did do in that situation um, and have done, uh, you know, across the country and at the federal level, uh, something that, that's out of their reach in terms of that kind of influence. Right, right. And and so it's hard, right? It's hard for groups like the NRA and that kind of thing. They're not going to influence the lawmakers they don't donate to. Um, and they're not going to influence the lawmakers who they frankly spend a lot of time um, denigrating. And we don't do that, you know, and, and we try really hard not to do that. You, you don't see our group doing a lot of that. Um, you certainly don't see it at the state level at all. And, and even, you know, I mean, are there Republican politicians who are not popular in our group? Oh, yeah, for sure. But again, like I said, I think there's as many Democrats who aren't popular. And but you see people in our group going in and saying, hey, you know, I'm not coming in to tell you you're an idiot. I'm coming in to tell you, here's why this idea is a bad one. This is what doesn't work within democratic liberal ideals. This is why this doesn't match a liberal ideal. Let's fix that. And and even like I've done stuff behind the scenes when. Um, a state was looking at adopting a red flag law. I worked with somebody else outside of our organization, but who invited me and who said, hey, the Democratic governor really wants a red flag law. Can you talk with the chief of staff and another person involved in kind of making this law, you know, framing what they want so that they understand the problem with these laws? You know, where where are the liberal concerns about red flag laws? And so we went in and we talked to them about, you know, how these are used, what's bad, what's the problem they're really trying to solve versus what these laws actually do, that kind of thing. And and so we do. We have that credibility and we try to keep that up um, and we work really hard. And, and it, it makes it difficult because there's groups that we just frankly don't publicly affiliate with because we can't and keep the um, the credibility with the people we need to reach. We can get into the rooms where other people don't get into, you know, and, and, and so we try to keep the credibility for that. Right. Um, now, uh, you know, so the, all these new gun owners that, that have come up right. recently, what, what, uh, you know, I guess, what, what is your message to try to appeal to them? What, how do you guys, um, you know, if someone's listening now who maybe feels out of place uh, somewhere like the NRA or, or, you mm-hmm. know, any of the other gun groups, 
um, but they still want to get involved in both, you know, a shooting community, but also political uh, advocacy. You know, what, what, what's your message to people like that? Um, you know, our message is we're there. We've been doing this a, a long time. Um, we're one of the more established groups. Not only do we have the advocacy side, but we do have the fun side and the serious training side. You know, if, if you have bought a gun and you have a spouse who really hates it, come talk to us about it. We've all been, well, not me, but <laughs> I, I'm the one that my spouse got me into shooting. But, but numerous ones of our members have been through that. Um, we have lots of trans members. We have lots of gay members. We have um, we have lots of members who are in marginalized communities of all types. Um, we have people who understand that and understand the particular concerns to different communities who will talk to you about that. Um, you're not going to be talked down to because you're new. You might get so much information, you're not sure what to do with it, <laughs> but we're gonna give you all the help we can possibly give you. Um, and we're gonna do it in a way that we want you to feel comfortable and safe. Um, if you are looking for an instructor and you live somewhere that we don't have an instructor, we'll get someone to you. Um, even if we have to do online training with you, if you, I, again, so let's say you're a spouse whose spouse bought a gun and you really hate this, um, come talk to me or come talk to us. We actually have a training for non-gun owners about make it safe, about what do you do if there is a firearm in your home that you need to make safe, not in an immediate danger type of situation, not if someone is pointing it at you, but you find a gun in your teenager's room, you live in a neighborhood that's not safe and you find you know, a firearm unsecured and you cannot call the police for whatever reason. We can teach you that. We can do it on video. We have a whole lecture series for that kind of thing. Um, but we also have lots of fun. Do you want to come talk about all kinds of issues? You know, we have a Discord channel that has channels for everything. We have gun pets. We have, you know, the pub channel, which is what everybody's having for dinner. We have, um, a book club we have, which is really interesting because a lot of the books are actually books. We have a ton of authors as members. So we read members, we read members books, like things they've written, um, which are not gun books and they're all kinds of things. Um, we have, you know, we're a big, broad community to come talk to and, and learn from, but also interact with and hopefully make friends. And, you know, we, we want everyone to feel comfortable and we do understand. I mean, I found the group because I, when I started shooting, I was looking for a community to learn from. And I found one of just the kind of the most notoriously terrible gun groups through a Google search. I mean, really one that's like known for being truly awful, even in the gun world. Um, and I went, oh God, this, maybe I don't want to do this. And then I started Googling and I found out that the club existed and it was much, much smaller at the time. Uh, but, you know, come, come talk to us. If you are not feeling comfortable, if you want to know, how do I handle my local gun store who has Nazi paraphernalia? You know, mm -hmm. how do you guys handle that? Because unfortunately that's out there. Um, you know, who do you guys buy from? Who do you use as an FFL? Who do you, all those kind of questions. Um, how do you as a member, you know, how do you as a woman or a trans person, I went to my local gun shop and I felt really uncomfortable. What do I do? We have all of that for you. We've all, you know, we, we can supply you with so many people that can talk to you about that. Um, 
and and we, you know, but we're also going to go have fun at the range. You know, we'll invite you out to a great fun day. Uh, we want everybody to have fun, and the, and but we want everybody to be safe too. Right, and and so where can people, uh, you know, find out more about the Liberal Fun Club? Uh, so um, our primary public-facing spaces are our webpage, which is theliberalgunclub.com, and on Facebook under The Liberal Gun Club. And you'll find a lot of stuff there. You can message us on Facebook. We have an Instagram. There's not as much on there. Um, it, but so the two best places to, to get in touch with us are either through the webpage or through Facebook. All right. And if you go to thereload.com, you can pick up uh, a membership to... Uh, our site as well. I believe uh, we actually have a discount for Liberal Gun Club members too. Yep. Uh, that's still active, uh, you know. So uh, feel free to, to head over and, and join us as well. But uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to explain the group, explain your philosophy, your point of view, why you're different, why that's important and matters. Um, and, uh, and we look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Yeah, we look forward to um, to seeing you again. And and if anybody really wants to reach out, um, you know, you can message me through the Facebook page if you want to know more about our group. If you want to know more about who I am, I am happy to talk. You know, personally, me happy to talk with anybody, um, especially on the other side. Why? How do you own guns and and stay liberal? You know, I'm happy mm. to talk to you about that. I'm I'm happy to go out and talk about that. I'll be at GRPC this year. Um, and if I'm, people want, I'm talk sure there'll to. be. Plenty of people who uh, on on the conservative side who will try to convince you to uh, own guns and and then become a conservative. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> there's there's a very prominent um, professional shooter who, when I met him, said to me, and he said, "Oh, you're a liberal. Don't worry. Come spend a weekend with us. We'll change that." <laughs> and it was like, "No, but thank you. I appreciate." I mean, and it wasn't done maliciously, and it was really no, funny because no. it was like, "Okay, thanks." <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, we're going to head over to the news uh, update now, but uh, we'll have you on again sometime in the future, I think. I appreciate you having us on. Thank you so much. All right. I'm joined by Jake Fogelman, our contributing writer for another news update segment. How are you doing, Jake? I'm great, Steve. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, you had an uh, update on the NRA situation this week. Actually, we both did, but uh, we should start with yours. Uh, the New York Attorney General has filed a new complaint in the NRA case in New York, right? Uh, that's right. Yeah. Letitia James is back in court after uh, a few guys will call a month ago, uh, a New York judge actually dismissed her biggest weapon against the NRA when, <clears throat> excuse me, he said that her attempt to dissolve the group uh, was dismissed. She, that wasn't going to happen. Um, her accusations didn't warrant such a sweeping penalty against the organization. Um, and so they no longer could be dissolved. Uh, so she's back in court. She amended her complaint to include a couple new penalties now. Um, and it essentially amounts to appointing two court appointed positions that would essentially oversee the NRA's operations and monitor their finances going forward. Um, so definitely not dissolving the NRA, but uh, still new penalties for the organization. Yeah, that, that's a pretty uh, significant change to the organization, of course. And and those uh overseers, they would report back to not just the court, right, but also uh, Letitia James herself. Right. It's especially this that's called an independent compliance monitor in the complaint. Um, and essentially what it would be, it would be appointed by the court and it would report to the court. But as you pointed out, um, it would also directly report to Letitia James herself, um, which is obviously if you're someone in the NRA, that's not something you're interested in. It's someone that's very clearly 
expressed hostility towards you having a direct line to the person that has is overseeing your financials. So that's a, a right. possible and stiff penalty. Yeah, yeah, there's still a lot of questions about exactly how that sort of arrangement would work out. Right. Um, we'll have to see if we can find more details on exactly what that would look like in practice. But that was that was those weren't the only punishments, right? They're the only sanctions that she suggested. There's also, I guess, individual punishments against uh, Wayne LaPierre and uh, some of the other members of leadership that are named in the suit. That's right. So um, in the previous proceeding, when the dissolution claim got dismissed, the judge actually allowed uh, her individualized punishments towards Wayne LaPierre and John Frazier and some of the other um, individual defendants to go forward. And so they show up again here in this complaint where she's essentially calling for LaPierre, Frazier to be permanently barred from first removed from their position in the NRA and then permanently barred from ever being elected again to hold an officer or director position in the NRA, as well as they have to pay financial restitution to the organization. Um, some of the other defendants that are no longer with the NRA currently would be barred from serving in any nonprofit at all in the state of New York. So pretty, uh, pretty stiff individual punishments as well. Yeah. And I mean, that, that financial restitution, I mean, they'd have to pay back all the sort of excess benefits that they received over the years from the, you know, the NRA by charging personal expenses to the group uh, and anything that they, any funds they misdirected as well, I, I believe. So that's, that could be, I mean, it could be millions of dollars, I believe. That, yeah. If she's able to prove all of her corruption claims in this civil suit, that would be millions of dollars. That would be a very big financial restitution. Yeah. Yeah. And it would get paid back to the NRA somewhat interestingly, uh, which is actually part of the argument that you saw in the NRA lawyers uh, in, in one of their uh, responses was basically, and the judge sort of uh, agreed with this when he dismissed the dissolution case, but their, their argument was like the people who, uh, if, if these allegations are true, which, you know, the NRA's lawyers uh, obviously don't believe they are, uh, but if they're true, then the people who were actually harmed were NRA members, not uh, you know, the, uh, the, the attorney general or the, the people of New York generally. So they'd actually have to pay all this money back to the NRA, not to Letitia James's office or any, anything like that. So that's sort of an interesting wrinkle, but uh, certainly that that's a, a big development. Now we're, we're seeing what she wants to do in lieu of, you know, shutting down the organization as that's no longer an option for her. And, you know, I think that's uh, that's where the battle's going to be now is over these punishments, over this idea of taking the NRA out of the hands of uh, the the elected directors and officers and putting it into, you know, the hands of, of a court appointed, uh, you know, director, which uh, you know, obviously with all the corruption allegations um, is a logical conclusion if you believe that they're, uh, they've proven their case. Uh, but if not, then it's certainly concerning. Um, but we also saw some other news uh, about the NRA who sort of got, uh, you know, two big pieces of news in a row this, the end, towards the end of this week with um, uh, a new challenge to Wayne LaPierre's leadership from the inside. I was going to say, yeah, you wrote a piece. Uh, it's, it's fitting that, you know, in one proceeding, they're talking about potentially removing leadership and you've, just covered a new development about people who would like to see 
uh, fill that void if there is a gap in leadership. Yeah. Or, you know, it seems almost like they what they want to do is stave off this this consequence that the New York attorney general is putting on the table. They want to remove leadership before the court can do it uh, in sort of an attempt to countermand this idea from Letitia James that the NRA is not fixing its own problems, that they haven't done any meaningful reforms because, you know, obviously Wayne LaPierre is still in charge of the NRA and he's the one who's mainly accused of all this corruption. And so these dissidents, um, you know, there's a, you got a current board member in, in Philip Journey, you got, uh, and then two former board members in, uh, was it's, uh, I forget the, the name, uh, Bill Daly, Daly and, yeah. and yeah, Rocky Marshall, um, are now trying to get Alan West, who is also a former NRA, uh, director, you know, board, board, he was on the board of directors. Uh, to run against LaPierre. Now, Alan West is obviously a very well-known figure, you know, a prominent Republican, uh, a politician who uh, has also been highly regarded inside of the NRA. Um, and with membership, uh, they want him to challenge Wayne LaPierre, which which is interesting. It's, this is like their third attempt to try and oust Wayne LaPierre, but it might be more, this one might have more legs than, than some of the other ones. Well, especially because it's running concurrently with, as you said, this developing lawsuit where <clears throat> now that the dissolution is off the table, the target kind of shrinks and it's just on leadership now. The focus is just on leadership. Um, so it is a kind of an interesting time to suggest, as you pointed out, a prominent person that's been involved with the, the organization. He's well known in at least Republican po uh, politics. He was a former congressman from Texas. Um, he tried to run for the governor of Texas uh, unsuccessfully just this last primary. Um, so yeah, it's definitely an interesting development to see. I'm not sure how successful they'll be, but it's, uh, certainly interesting to see them try to head off this corruption accusation by just cleaning house essentially. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, this is something they've been trying, this group of, uh, directors, current and former have been trying to do for, you know, a couple of years now right? and they haven't had much success. They tried to intervene in the, the bankruptcy to get a court appointed examiner to look at the NRA's finances, you know, sort of a third party independent uh, audit, essentially. And then they tried to intervene in the New York case, uh, as uh, you know, Rocky Marshall did, at least as uh, as, as a director, uh, which was denied. And then, you know, now they're they've they also put up Rocky Marshall as uh, to run against Wayne LaPierre in the last uh, leadership election, which by the way, leadership elections in the NRA are decided by the board of directors, not by the, the membership. The membership votes on, uh, the board of directors. And then the board of directors decides who gets to be, you know, the, the officers of the NRA, the executive vice president, the, the first vice president, second vice president, and so forth. The, you know, the, the general counsel. Um, but the interesting thing here to me, at least is one Alan West's Seems open to the idea. He told us he was uh, he, he'd be praying with uh, and consulting his family before he decides, but that he was humbled uh, by the request. So he seems certainly uh, interested in potentially doing this. He's also been vocally critical of Wayne and uh, other leadership over these uh, corruption allegations in the past. You know, in 2019, the last time they had an annual meeting, uh, there. During the members meeting, there was, you know, a lot of uproar 
Uh, it was very contentious. Some members tried to vote through a proposal to oust leadership back then because that's when the, all these corruption allegations first came to, to light in public. Uh, that failed, but it created a lot of internal dissension. You know, you had Oliver North, the president at the time, at effect, effectively at war with Wayne LaPierre. Uh, he ended up being ousted and LaPierre ended up winning that. But uh, Alan West was vocal at that time, uh, called for Wayne to resign, called other members of leadership, you know, a, a cabal who was corrupt. So, you know, he certainly has the, I guess, passion about this situation, the NRA, to, to make this happen. Of course, he later uh, left the board when he right. ran for, for governor and did so pretty quietly. He didn't make any announcements. You know, so after that 2016, uh, you know, outburst, the noise he made then, he, he kind of disengaged i think a bit from at least publicly talking about all all the issues the nra has uh, but he's i wouldn't be surprised if he got back in to to contest this leadership election at the end of the month it's actually so the annual meeting is happening the end of this month may 27th is when it starts the board meeting is the day after the last day of the annual meeting so that'll be um i believe it's monday may 30th it's either the 30th or the 31st and and uh, it's gonna be perhaps pretty pretty big deal i mean you have uh, his notoriety both publicly and on the board but you also have the fact that the nra's leadership uh has not has had some hard times lately with sure. with both the the suit and then also the financial situation in the nra is pretty uh dire right now yeah. we published of course last year a uh, detailed internal document that showed their revenue has been cut in half by you know by from what it was in 2018 and their spending is has been cut even further so they're kind of uh they're, they're they're in pretty bad shape and so maybe that maybe that has an impact on these other directors however many show up because even though they have 76 members, most a lot of those people don't even show up to these board meetings. Right. So that's Wayne, that previous leadership election where Rocky Marshall was put up to run against Wayne, Rocky Marshall only got two votes, right? Which sounds really bad in terms of like the prospects of replacing Wayne. Because clearly if Marshall only got two votes, well, Wayne must have gotten 74 votes then, right? Well, there were three abstentions. So, all right, well, so he got 71 votes. No, he got 44 votes because a, a large chunk of the directors didn't show up to the, the last uh, major board meeting where they had that vote. So, um, you know, it, it, there's certainly room there in theory for uh, somebody like Alan West to come in and, and campaign among the board members and, and persuade them uh, at this juncture to change leadership. But I would still imagine, I don't know, what do you think? I still imagine Wayne has most of the board locked down. I, I was going to say, I'm leaning, I would imagine that as well. Um, but you do raise a good point that, you know, there's multi-year litigation now, multiple years of financial trouble that we've uncovered two years in a row for two years of uh, financial documents. <clears throat> you have a guy like Alan West that you said has at least previously been willing to um, 
raise concerns and vocally express those concerns. It'll be interesting to see if between now and the next meeting, if he's willing to get vocal like that again. You know, he privately said to us that he was considering it. Um, but I believe he also just took a position with that new group that I think Trump's kid started uh, about the Second no, Amendment. I think he took some position. I'm sure it was just like an advisory role. So I don't know if that's, I mean, the NRA is obviously a bigger deal than that. But if he's maybe not willing to um, go to bat quite so hard to replace the leadership of the NRA, it will be interesting to see. That's, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, that I, new uh, group from uh, Trump Jr. is, uh, I mean, it's not really clear what it, what it actually is. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, I've, I've looked at the website and, and the reporting on it. It doesn't. It's not, it doesn't seem to be a nonprofit. I'm not really sure what what it actually is or what it does. But, um, you know, that's another potential player uh, to compete with the NRA. So right. um, we'll, we'll definitely keep an eye on it once we get some more details on what they actually do. But, right. but yeah, I think the NRA's situation is, is heating up now. You know, we haven't really talked about them very much the last couple of months. Uh, and now... The annual meeting seems like it's certainly going to happen this time. You know, they had to cancel the last two, but um, it seems like there's going to be a leadership fight. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see what, if West takes takes that reign and then tries to oust Wayne. Uh, that rhymed. I didn't mean it to, but uh, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, we're perhaps we could get Alan on the show. We'll see. And it'd be interesting to see what he would actually do differently from Wayne. Uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to oust Wayne, but it's another thing to actually fix uh, what the issues that the NRA has and, and get out of this lawsuit is, is getting rid of Wayne going to actually accomplish that. Right. Uh, and, and how would it, you know, if, if, if Wes does do that. So we'll, we'll see. We'll keep on track of that. Uh, keep on top of it. But uh, I think that's it for this week. Um, yeah, we, uh, we are another successful podcast in the books. Uh, thank you again, Jake, for for coming on to give us the news update. Um, and we'll we'll see you guys next week. But you know, in the meantime, you should head on over to thereload.com, pick up a membership today if you want to get exclusive access to hundreds of uh, analysis and story, you know, news pieces that we've done for our members only. Um, you know, you can. Also get this podcast a day early or even come and appear on the show. We actually need to do another member segment. It's been a, been a couple episodes. I've really enjoyed doing those. So we'll, we'll have to find, find uh, some more members who want to come on and, and share their story as well. But uh, if you like this show, please, uh, you know, if you listen this far, you probably like it. Please go ahead and uh, rate and review the show on your favorite podcasting app. That really helps us get out there to more people, helps more people hear this this show helps us grow, helps us uh, expand our operations. And, you know, in the future, we want to we want to hire more people and do more reporting for you guys. But uh, until next week, we'll thank you for joining and listening.